The Lord be with you. Welcome to worship here at Emmanuel Presbyterian Church on this fair day. It is a day of celebration for us, and so our worship service is a little bit different than uh, it would be normally, but uh, we're here to celebrate our mortgage payoff, and it's a great day. Christina has already introduced us uh, to our theme, uh, the, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord, and uh, we are celebrating that truth today as we celebrate God's faithfulness and uh, your faithfulness as well to moving us into this place in which we meet is now debt-free. Certainly not obligation-free, but debt-free. Uh, <laughs> and it, it takes some, uh, it's like I said once when I was pastoring a church, uh, solo pastor, my first solo pastorate in uh, in Pasadena, California, that I learned far more about pipe organs than I ever wanted to learn. Uh, their obligations of maintaining God's house are, uh, as Tom well knows, <laughs> are, are great. So, uh, so thank you, though, for your faithfulness in this great uh, accomplishment. Immediately after the service, for those of you that are interested, we did find a copy of uh, the, the mortgage and um, the papers of the mortgage, and we are going to burn them after the service. So, um, so we're going to do that. We're going to do that right out here. And our uh, our current uh, stated clerk and our former stated clerk, Susan uh, Sprague and Phyllis Kruger, are going to be the pyrotechnicians. Um, so anyway, uh, before I read our opening sentences, I'd just like to say a couple of words about the way in which this psalm also informs the text for our first hymn. The hymn, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, is a kind of tribute to Zion, a tribute to places of worship, uh, a tribute to those places that uh, we in the Church of Jesus Christ build for ourselves in which to worship and to praise God. And Zion is the idealized version of that, the holy city of Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven in, in Revelation. So this is a celebration of the way in which the, the church is our, our home and, and also the place from which we're sent and shines on us the light that we go out and reflect. And, and John Newton wrote this text, same guy that wrote Amazing Grace, wrote this text in the late 1700s. And Franz Josef Haydn wrote the tune. Uh, we call it the Austrian hymn tune. I doubt that he called it that. I don't know what he called it, but that was written in 1797. And I just want to say this because it was long before this tune was also the tune for Deutschland, Deutschland über alles, uh, which means that some people don't sing this hymn anymore. And I just want to say John Newton and Franz Josef Haydn predate the Third Reich. <laughs> <laughs> And so we're going to sing it in light of that. Uh, and uh, it's a dangerous thing to do these days, and I, but I, I, I would like to do it. This glorious celebration of Zion, the holy city, is exactly what we need to begin our worship service with today, in my opinion. But I wanted to do that lengthy disclaimer to avoid any offense. So let me read Psalm 46, and then we'll stand and sing our opening hymn. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. There is a river 
whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. God utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations God has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. Be still and know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Let's stand and sing. So today is a day of celebration, and we're going to have some conversations up front here today with some folks that are listed in your bulletin and and just celebrate together. But the first thing I'd like to do before I invite Sue Hendricks up as the first of those conversations, I'd like to read a letter from my predecessor here as pastor, Steve Knowles, and he wanted to just send us his greetings today since he was pastor at the groundbreaking for this great day that we're celebrating and the payoff of the mortgage. But let me read this letter from him. Dear brothers and sisters at Emmanuel Presbyterian, congratulations at paying off your mortgage. You do have a lot to celebrate this coming Sunday, and I rejoice with you giving thanks to God. This completes a wonderful project that made increased ministry in the name of Christ possible. You are carrying that mission and ministry forward. For those of you that do not know me, I was pastor at Emmanuel Presbyterian from 1996 to 2011. Those years culminated in the beautiful building project that you have been living in for over a decade. Generous members and friends of the congregation raised over 300,000 initially to go with the mortgage in a million dollar project. I remember the cottage meetings we had in the homes of church members where we discussed what Christ Church meant to us. We learned to talk very honestly about what God was leading us to give. These were the deepest stewardship conversations I have ever witnessed in a church. My wife Florence just reminded me of an interesting related to this time. I was at an Emmanuel men's breakfast one Saturday morning at Denny's and I gave Elder Bob Matthews a ride home afterward. As we were walking back to the car from the restaurant, I noticed something on the ground by the car. I picked it up and it was a $100 bill. And I said to Bob, Bob, what should I do with $100? And he replied, give it to the church. <laughs> so Florence and I decided to give it to the cross fund for Warren Weber was crafting a cross for the new structure. I will never forget the evening we carried that lovely cross through the streets of Bothell to its destination. I know you have heard of mustard seed faith. In God's kingdom, a small amount of genuine faith can turn into large acts. Years ago at Emmanuel, we started talking about remodeling the dreary men's restroom. <laughs> One thing led to another, and the rest is history. By the way, you can see pictures of the famous green toilet uh, today if you want to know about the dreary men's restroom. One thing led to another, and the rest is history. Warren Weber and Steve Myers teamed up with the Building Task Force to create a gem. 
I will leave you with one more memory image. I did a confirmation class for youth the last year I was at Emmanuel. One of the games that we played had the young people going through the building searching for things. I don't recall the details of the game, but I do recall realizing that God was using this new structure to lead people of all ages to know the transforming love of God in Jesus Christ. Blessings on all of you as you celebrate and complete this phase of life together with Pastor Dave. May the grace and peace of Christ be with you, Steve Knowles. Yeah. So like I said, I want to spend some time uh, kind of hosting conversations with some folks this morning. And the first of those is uh, Sue Hendricks. Sue is most comfortable where she's seated right now and making her way toward us at the back of the sanctuary. She is rarely up at the front of the sanctuary when it is full. She's up here a lot when it's empty because she does so much like our table. Come on right in here, Sue, and stand right in front of the mic. Um, she is most comfortable in this place when she's doing things like adorning our sanctuary uh, for worship and so she reluctantly said yes to me today when i asked her uh, to uh, i'm not here yeah (laughs) to do this but i i knew that sue needed to be up front even if she just said yes and no to everything that i said ask her She needed to be up here today because she was here every day when this building was being built. Uh, She took many of the photos that uh, you will see today, and she had some other jobs that were pretty significant in all of this. So, Sue, tell us a little bit about how you got involved and what you did in this building project. What was your role? On the committee stuff, they had like 10 or 12 committees doing different kinds of stuff. And I ended up on financial. I was helping Deb as treasurer. I was a backup for receiving treasure. And I think she was too occupied with other things at the time. I think she wanted another committee. So I ended up doing the campaign part, the keeping track of the funds that came in on uh, people's pledges for the campaign. And did posters and sent out letters to put people up on what they had done and how much the church had raised. And uh, ended up, well, doing the campaign and ended up being receiving treasurer. (laughs) So your work with the campaign was not just taking in money, but it was also spending money, right? Uh, Yes. When they started spending the money, I was the one who kept the books for all the bills that came in and consulted a lot with uh, Warren about what to do with them, making sure he agreed the bill had to be paid and getting lien waivers and all different kinds of things, finding out as I was going what to do. I learned how to do Excel as much as I needed to. I'm sure there's a whole lot I don't it's, know It's a it. place of deep mystery for me, Excel <laughs> is. Uh... Most of it is for me too. <laughs> okay. I think I know what I need to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It got yeah. me through. And the but you came up with a spreadsheet and, and the, the books, books balanced. Out. The books were audited and they never said anything to me, so I made out. Good. Good for you. Well, we're grateful. And I know Warren was especially grateful because he he said, uh, I don't write checks. Uh, I spend money, but I don't write checks. So thank you for writing the checks. I wrote a lot. You wrote a lot of checks. That's right. That's right. 
So you also played a role in kind of making Emmanuel's uh, temporary worship home uh, a little bit more homey. What did you do there? You'll see a picture in one of those binders about where we had our church services while we were out of here. We were in St. Brendan's Gymnasium, which is humongous room, like six times whatever this is. You know what a gymnasium looks like. Basketball hoops and walls. We had a kitchen in the back, so we had people that brought refreshments every week. The Francoise did music just about every week. And the front looked so bare, so I thought they did bring a, I, in one of my pictures I noticed we had one of the banners, but it was one that Pat Matthews had made way back when, and it was velvet, and it was large, and it wouldn't have taken the traveling going back and forth every Sunday. So I found a wooden cross that had been around here about that big. And so I just made a, a white felt to go behind it and uh, hung the cross on that for the front. Earl, Sandy made a stand to hold the banners. I made another banner and I think I made it while we were still in the gymnasium. Every Sunday we had two big crates of the hymnals banner and the pole and stuff. We had a van again at the time. So we traipsed that back and forth every Sunday. Other people, Francoise did music, so they had to do their equipment back and forth. And then they had refreshment committee, so they had a little kitchen and somebody made sure we had refreshments every Sunday. So it took a lot of hands. Yeah. And we set up about a hundred chairs every Sunday. Didn't ever fill them all, but we thought well, but <laughs> yeah. hopefully. Yeah, that's great. So I know this project and participating in it uh, was a gift to you in some way that God gave you a gift. Can you tell us a little bit about what that gift might have been for you? Well, part of it is I, I look around and see where I see a need and where I think I can do something about it and it looks like nobody else has thought about it. So I, I felt real good when we were finished because I made a banner, I had helped the place look warm, a little warmer than a gymnasium does. And uh, having done the Excel worksheet and stuff, I was feeling pretty good about myself. I was still able to learn. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And that is a gift to feel like we're still able to learn, isn't it? Uh, so I don't think I could do it today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Sue, thank you so much. And this wasn't yeah. so bad, was it? Not too bad. Okay, good. <laughs> I got a note, but I don't need it. Okay. So, uh, Warren, your name's already been mentioned a couple of times today, and there's a reason for that, and that's because you were pretty much the construction manager and making decisions about things that, in some ways, you found out no one else wanted to make, and so you were there. But you also worked uh, in conjunction with Steve Myers, who's no longer with us but lives in Michigan. But Steve wrote a letter and sent it to you, so would you read that for yes, us, please? Yes, yes. Yeah, oh yeah, please. I'm going to preface uh, reading this letter with the fact that when we had the dedication for this building, uh, I was asked to say a few words. And I just flat said that what I was going to talk about that day was Steve Myers, because without Steve Myers, there would not have been a building, period. We went to Ben there. I mean, Steve was just a fantastic human being. And, and getting his letter just really reminded me why working with him was such a pleasure. But no further ado, I'll read the letter from Steve Myers. Hello, Emmanuel. Greetings from the Midwest. What a day, what an occasion for a celebration. 
congratulations to everyone at Emmanuel for reaching such a milestone. Almost 20 years ago, this was a day we talked about, hoped for, planned for, prayed for, as the initial idea and plans were starting to percolate. Before I go too much further, I want to say hello to everyone and to introduce myself to those I do not know. My name is Steve Myers. I was a member of the church for 15 years, along with my wonderful wife, Liz, and our daughters, Natalie and Lily. We were transplants from Michigan who moved to Seattle. We stumbled into Emmanuel Church one day and never left. We were home. Emmanuel was and will always be an incredibly special place for us, a place that gave us such a deeper understanding of what a family and faith is and challenged us to embrace the meaning of the words of hope, refuge, and service. We have thought of Emmanuel often over the years since we moved away, and I'm honored to be able to say a few words today about the early process that led to today's celebration. Back in 2004 or thereabouts, I was asked to help coordinate some of the initial efforts of looking into how the church might update some of its facilities. These efforts generated a lot of discussion, and it started a process of discovery how each of us felt not just about the physical space that we call church. The more we all talked, the more we realized that there was a lot of collective energy. We wanted something significant to happen, not small fixes, but something that got us really excited, something that pushed us. What followed was a five-year journey of patience and perseverance. It was a journey that took us through traffic studies, environmental studies, conditional use permitting, city planning, budgeting, master plan development design committees, informal meetings at a pub, architectural plan development, capital campaigns, moving to a temporary facility, and then finally came the day to swing a hammer. As I remember this process, what led up to the actual construction, I don't want to make it sound like it was all administrative. It was in many ways, but I remember it as so much more than that. It was actually a process of collective discovery, and what I remember was a very joyous journey. As we took each step, we slowly built the courage to take the next step, and another, and another. As we continued together as a congregation, I remember hearing from a number of people that this process was actually stretching them to think about their faith in ways they hadn't thought of before. We weren't just talking about buildings anymore. We were talking about new ministries, new ways for us to grow that we weren't used to. We were asking different questions and pushing ourselves in our spiritual journeys with a mix of hope and fear and trust in God and the trust in each other. It was a time like no other that I've ever had in my life as a Presbyterian. I had often jumped and trusted God would catch me on a personal level but it felt like this was happening on a congregational level. It felt like we were all stepping out in our faith at the same time and trusting that this was the direction that God wanted Emmanuel to go. The colors of our spiritual life felt vividly bright. One evening when the late sunshine was shining through the rafters of the new building, the beauty of the moment seemed to sum up the collective efforts and the work so many that it made it happen. I will never forget that moment. The ministries that have taken place in Emmanuel since those days have no doubt touched so many lives. 
I'm sure that God's work through Emmanuel has many, many vivid days ahead of it. Today is a celebration of this journey. It is yet another milestone. Thank you again for the chance to share a few words today. I look forward to hearing about the next steps in Emmanuel's journey. And that really sums up who Steve Myers was. So You can stay right there if you want to. Oh. <laughs> you want to come over there? Okay, that's fine. So you just read the letter from Steve. I know that conversations between the two of you were very important in this whole process, but say a little bit about how you came to believe that this building was something that could be built, that it was a doable risk or a risk worth taking. When I first started talking about doing a project here, I, for many reasons, was a naysayer. And, and I, I just said, there's no way we could do it. And it just couldn't be done. But I said, if God wants to build a church, then who am I to stand in the way? I said, I'll go to the meetings. I'll, I'll go along with it. But, you know, I just had, there was just a lot of things to me that, for one thing, everybody said, yeah, we're going to need a contractor, wink, wink. And I was kind of like, well, I've got a good job already. Thank you. Well, <laughs> But then one night, uh, Steve Myers and I were having beers, and I don't know where the thought came from, but I remember looking at Steve and saying, you know, if we did what Jesus said to do, to sell everything and to follow him, I said, you and I could pay for this remodel ourselves. And it was like a light switch going on. And from that moment, I never looked back. I mean, going from, if God wants to build a church, who am I to stand in the way? To, if God wants to build a church, then why don't I just get on board? Because this might be a lot of fun. And so, <laughs> and it was just one of those, I mean, it was just a totally different outlook after that. I mean, and I have to confess, <laughs> another time having beers with Steve and... <laughs> There's a pattern here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad somebody noticed that, but, you know, I mean, Steve kind of was out fishing. He says, you know, Warren... Really, how many people in, your, in their life get the chance, the opportunity to build a church? And I was just like, okay, Steve, <laughs> where am I going now? You got me. And, and I never looked back. It was, we were walking and it, it just felt good all the way through. It was, yeah. I think you've already answered this question, but I'll ask it anyway, because I said I was going to ask it to you. <laughs> um, so in what sense, or what would you identify as God's uh, gift to you because you said yes to participating in this process? I've thought a lot about this and reflected a lot on this, and I, it might take a little longer than you want me to, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's, it's, <laughs> no, it's, it's twofold. It's, it's, Connie and I have talked about this before often. What does the voice of God sound like? We've come to realize that, I mean, to me, the voice of God sounds like people saying the same thing, different people bringing you that same message, an energy that builds up around something that you just go, there's something here that wasn't there before. Going through this building process, the, all the planning, all of, and the construction was just the pleasure of hearing that, reflecting back on and saying, yeah, that was the voice of God. That's what it sounds like. And I mean, that was a real gift. The other thing to me that probably more important than that was to realize how we as a congregation are truly different parts of the same body of Christ. I mean, through this whole process, as you heard, you know, Sue say, you know, there were so many people, there was so much to do. There was, 
Yes, I was the project manager. I was the face of the job. You know, I told people what to do and so on and so forth. Steve Myers, you know, had his framing crew. Like Steve always told me that when you're doing the framing, that's the well, honeymoon part of a construction site because- That's every... why he loved the rafters so much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the completed building for him. <laughs> exactly, he, he was done once the framing was done, you know? And, and yeah, yeah, and then there was the, you know, his framing crew, uh, Vitaly was his lead framer, watching him literally like a monkey swinging from those rafters on the narthex. I was just like, you know, so, but for all of us who were the face, who were out there, kind of getting all the credit and all the whatever, there was so many more behind the scenes that were doing things that in a lot of ways, I mean, almost inexplicable, but I mean, you know, Sue, uh, Susan Sprague, Phyllis, Marianne Gibbons were the collar crew. They did picked out all the collars. They did all the tiles, all the finishes. I mean, that just freed all of us up. And then for those who weren't here, when we were finished with the church, we didn't have a kitchen. We had gone through the whole thing. The understanding that if I felt like we were running money, that we were going to run out of money before the project was over, we, we, would, we just wouldn't do the kitchen. We just have doors on there and close it. And that's how we wound up when we finished the church. And during the construction, Joe DeShane, I mean, he was sick, really sick. And I mean, he couldn't pick up a board, but he said, you know, I, I would go to the Presbytery meetings so that the people who, who are doing the construction can stay and, and work on the project. And after we got done with the project, Kay DeShane, his wife came up to me one day, <laughs> had the stack of papers and she said, you know, and she just gave this vibe. I don't, I can only describe it as the cat in the cartoon that sees the canary in the, the bird in a cage. And, and she came to me and I just had that vibe that she wanted me to help her get that bird, you know, but, <laughs> but she said, you know, yeah, Joe came back from the Presbytery meeting. And apparently the Presbytery had come in to money, some money, and they were looking for projects that could help the congregations in their ministries. And she said, you know, would you help me, you know, fill this out, make a long story short, we filled out this paperwork, we gave it to the Presbytery, we got some, a couple of donations and a grant from the Presbytery, you know, and as, as reflected back on that, yeah, Joe could not, you know, get up and put the plywood on the roof, but Joe did find us the, the financing for the kitchen and that's just how it worked it was just the other thing i wanted to say was was the the other part of the body is is we're not here just to celebrate what we did the people that were here 13 years ago we're here to celebrate paying off the mortgage and, and that includes each and every one of you i mean if you in the last 13 years have given a dollar to Emanuel Presbyterian Church, 20 cents of that has gone to pay off the mortgage. So this isn't just an accomplishment of what we did. This is an accomplishment what we, all of us, all the parts of Christ in this congregation have done together. And that's been just an absolute joy. I mean, that's been the blessing. So great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of the Presbytery, I want to invite Corey Schlosser Hall. Uh, Corey, you, you can stay one if you want. Oh, yeah. um, but Corey, Corey was uh, executive presbyter when this was all going on. And you, Corey, had a unique perspective as an outsider as you kind of heard the request for the presbytery to 
co-sign this loan and endorse us to borrow the money. And just talk a little bit about what you were thinking and feeling as that was all happening. <laughs> so um, as part of the Presbytery, we're all in this together. When you decide to step out and take a risk, we are part of taking that risk together with you. I mean, when you take out a, you know, two thirds of a million dollar loan, we're right there with you. And when you are a congregation that has never broken $200,000 in your annual income, and you say, we're gonna take on a million dollar project and borrow two thirds of it, we kind of look at the surface of it and say, are you nuts? <laughs> this, this is a little bit crazy. And so when uh, Steve and Steve and Warren and uh, Larry, at the time who was part of the finance committee, Larry Decay, um, when they all came to meet with us as the finance committee, that was the sort of external evaluation. This is a bit nuts. Uh, you know, we need to evaluate the risk together. And we said, this is a bit nuts. But we had this interaction with them that helped us see that this was this was actually a kind of an ongoing work of the spirit in the life of Emmanuel Presbyterian Church. And um, in several instances, both serving as a executive presbyter, but also my family and I became part, this became our worshiping congregation in about 2014, when our oldest daughter Maya started going to high school over at Bothell High School. I think this congregation has a particular type of spirituality. And uh, I gave it a name yesterday in looking back on the notes from 2007. <laughs> and it's called pragmatic audacity. <laughs> <laughs> and this is what I mean. One quick story, you kind of passed by it really quick. But as I started to learn of the story of this project, I learned that it started with some holy discontent about a fabulous green toilet. <laughs> the famous green toilet. So you, all, you have to make a little pilgrimage to the picture of the fabulous green toilet. Because have you ever read the book, Give a Mouse a Cookie? Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> give Emmanuel Presbyterian Church a toilet from the 60s that has outlived its style and function. <laughs> and it'll create a million dollar project. <laughs> because what happens when you're discontent with a toilet? Well, then you can't just take a new toilet and put it there. You have to reconfigure the space. And if you're going to reconfigure that space, you might as well redo the plumbing. And if you might as well redo the plumbing, you might as well create the opportunity to go to that fabulous pragmatic location that everybody, 100% of humans have to use in order to uh, make it. So, well, why not then rebuild the sanctuary? Why not then connect the sanctuary with the education facility and the preschool? And why not? You get the idea. So it's pragmatic audacity. <laughs> but the other piece about this is from the surface of it, you say, you know, here's this congregation that, you know, has less than $200,000 in its annual income, wants to take on a million dollar project and borrow two thirds of it. But then you see, well, you know what? We saw God doing something with us. And so we raised almost $300,000 a few years ago to help us make the leap. He said, well, you know, we have this preschool that's been with us for since 2001. 
And because of our partnership, we could help that preschool grow to three times the enrollment that has ever been able to do. And that will be a part of a contributing to our capacity to pay you know, fifty to $60,000 in mortgage debt every year. And um, there's all these different pieces that you can see, oh my gosh, there's such a pragmatic thoughtfulness that's going into this that yes, they can make this leap because they've been thoughtful and thorough and engaged. So there's all, I think there is a unique charism here. I call it pragmatic audacity. So, um, but the other thing I wanted to share with you if you wouldn't mind, no, is that okay? No. Okay. I, people don't have to ask permission in my last year for anything. <laughs> sure, why not? So, um, you know, the project was going 2008, 2009. And so in, in the midst of that project, there were lots of things going on. And, you know, you had borrowed the money, you were already starting to pay it off. And I don't know if you all remember, but you took on this in 2007, but do you remember what happened in 2008? Yeah. yeah. So like you take this complete leap of faith and then the economy melts and people start losing their work. And, you know, of course, a whole bunch of worry develops. And I remember in the midst of that, the session asked if I would come and lead a retreat. You used to have retreats at Camp Houston every year. And so, uh, the session asked if I would come and lead a retreat. And I was looking back at that retreat and I met with the session to ask them, what do you want to get out of this? And so I took a whole bunch of notes on what the session was thinking at the time. <laughs> I want to share with you just a couple of the notes because this sort of demonstrates the kind of spirituality that's here. There's a lot of them. I won't. The church of the toilet being a running joke was a big part of that. But more than that, they were describing this building process. They said, we're in the building process started five years ago. Now we're in mobile units. We're setting up and tearing down. And there's some fatigue in the congregation. You know, we put things in place for the building. We, we knew that we were going to need forty dollars to $50,000 to pay for the mortgages first year. So we put that in place. But the economy's in the tank. The general operating fund is in crisis. And are we going to have this nice new facility just sitting here? What are we going to do in ministry to maintain that into the future years? You know, we might need to free salaries and might need to do other things just to make it through the year. And right now we're caught in between. We're caught in between the joy of this new emerging facility and the worry about our capacity to handle it and the worry about the budget crisis. And then the next line is, but we are always acting on the side of hope. So that caught in between of, you know, worry and anxiety and possibility, and then always acting on the side of hope is that kind of pragmatic audacity that is present here. And it became the first word in our mission is hope, refuge and service. And so whenever I encourage you, whenever you're in the midst of that, that moment, you know, the spiritual life that you have embodied. Whenever you're in the middle of worry and anxiety and possibility, lean on the side of hope. Thanks be to God. Amen. 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 Um, I was going to ask you one more question. Did you already answer it? Um, yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Well, I don't know how many of you know Abe Martinez, but Abe worshipped with us for a while and is now our 
a webmaster and uh, he doesn't worship with us any longer, but he also makes sure the sermons get online and all of that sort of thing. But Abe has produced a, a video for us using photos of this project and uh, we're going to watch that now. I asked three people that I interviewed here to reflect on the gift that was given to them in the process of this building. And now I'd, I'd like to share with you the gift that I think this building has been to me in my term here as pastor at Emmanuel. And, and there are two things that I can identify. And the first thing is, is that this building was at the root of assuaging my deepest fear about coming to be your pastor. In moving from a large church where people go to church rather than have a stake in creating church, you have a very different job as pastor. You have the job of, of being the presenter and sort of the talent for when people go to church. When you come to a small church, you become a part of an existing community where everyone has a stake in what's happening here. And that's what we saw in the reports about this building project. And you have to engage in the midst of that higher ownership and history and smallness because uh, you never, you always know who they are. You know, in churches, they say that, well, they are saying, or people are saying, in the large church especially, they is a very unidentifiable mass of people. And it may just be one. But you know the nice thing about the small church is that you always know who they are. <laughs> you always know what's being said and who's saying it because it's small enough to have an awareness of that. And one of the things that gets said a lot in a smaller church for that reason is, well, we've never done it that way. Or, you know, we've always done it this way. And that frankly is the death knell for a church because the Holy Spirit is always living and moving and breathing and doing new things among any congregation, irrespective of their size. But what building this building did for this congregation was push this massive reset button in your life. It was like you wiped away the corporate memory. The what we always did was really unclear because you were doing it in a new place. And that was an enormous gift to me that I didn't realize until I was here for a couple of years. But the fact that you willingly pushed that reset button when a lot of churches would have circled the wagons and died quietly was a marvelous place to enter in and to come to that. And it completely assuaged my fears. The other thing I want to say to you is there's something about this building itself that has been an enormous gift to me. And that's the absolutely unnecessary elevation of the ceiling in the narthex. <laughs> that kind of extravagance, that kind of witness to the bigness of God, when, you know, frankly, you've, you've got a pretty low ceiling in here, you know, but it was almost as if you let the architect do something that the architect knew needed to be done and said, well, hell, if we can't have the big ceiling in the sanctuary, let's put it in the narthex. Yes. <laughs> and do you realize what an incredible, I mean, Marianne's quilt group was just here yesterday. They used the space for their new members meeting. And this is an incredibly welcoming place. You open those two doors and you walk into that space 
and it feels expansive and intimate all at the same time. And it is just a great thing. I mean, I, I want to, at some point before I leave, I want to hold worship out there so we can hear ourselves singing in that space. <laughs> Those are the two big gifts. And, and I want to just close with the reading of a text that you know is one of the greatest hits in the Bible for me. I think it's the, it's the text that, that says better and more about the church in fewer words than any other text, and that's Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. Therefore, my friends, since we have confidence to enter the sanctuary by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us approach with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. The source of our confidence is that God invites us into his presence and that we have been joyfully welcomed into the presence of God. We have the confidence to enter the sanctuary, the confidence that comes from knowing that God desires to be with us and that worship is an opportunity to remind ourselves of, of that fact. Because when we gather, a couple of things happen and both of them are identified in this text. We encourage one another and we stir one another up or provoke one another to love and good works. And it says something about what it means to be a refuge. When those two things are happening for the people of God, their church becomes a refuge. It becomes a place that they can come to be rerooted and regrounded in the love of Jesus Christ. And when that happens, you also gain confidence to go into the world and begin to share that same love and light, reflect that same light to the world around you. Our mission statement, I love this too about this church. That's one of the gifts to me too. Those words, hope, refuge, and service. They are just so pregnant, so loaded with so much. And it's, it's just such a wonderful thing to just have those three words that are so evocative. They're kind of like this Rorschach ink blot that you can project anything into in one sense, but they also are just this expansive sense of mission and, and what, what happens in a church. And, and all three of those things are, are in this text that they embody our source of hope in that confidence to enter the refuge of the shelter and the safety of God's love and care for one another, the service that comes to us because we have this refuge and hope. And they all kind of point to the fact that what we do here is what fuels our other six days. And the, the Lord keeps our going out and our coming in forevermore. And we remind ourselves of that fact as we gather in this place. And so that big entry and those big doors and this big open space is also not just a welcome in, but it's also a welcome out into the world. It's open to a world where we're going out to be neighbors, to love God and to love neighbors and to be God's people.
So let's stand and sing to that effect. I woke up, I think it was Wednesday morning, about three o'clock in the morning, and David had given me the kind of the what the service would look like today. And I woke up about three in the morning, and I was like, the irony of what we we're going to do here today was really struck me like a hammer. I said, you know, we're here to celebrate the paying off of the mortgage, and yet we're only talking to the three people who put us in the mortgage in the first place. And I said, what I wanted to do, if, I, if it was okay with him, is just to say thank you, publicly say thank you for what Dave has done to make today a reality. So I am going to attempt this. So shortly after finishing this project, Pastor Steve asked me if I could come into his office and talk to him about, he had some things he wanted to talk about. And we sat down. And he said, told me, he said, after doing some serious soul searching, he said, I, I realized that for this church to move forward, to become what it can be, this church is going to need a pastor that has a skill set different than mine. He said, you know, he'd given it a lot of thought, but he said, you need a different leader. And he kind of closed with a smile on his face and as much pride as I've ever heard a person say, he says, you know, Warren, what we've done? I said, what's that? He said, we set the table. But he said, it's for another pastor, for the next pastor to decide what's going to be served at that table. And shortly after that, he left. And as Corey brought out, this panic set in. And I, I can honestly say that I never, it, it never, I, I didn't, I didn't share that sense of desperation. I always felt that, you know, if he finds, a person who could do a good service on Sunday, we would be fine. We would be okay. <laughs> Fast forward a little bit. One afternoon, Connie came home. She was a late comer to the PNC and she had listened to your sermon in a neutral pulpit. And she said, I think we found our pastor. And she said, he gave a fantastic sermon, really nice guy. And he has this just absolutely infectious, wonderful laugh. And after our session meeting, the meet and greet, I fully concurred with Connie's assessment. Over the last 10 years from this table, you have served a constant diet to us of how God's love is relational, how God is seeking us, how God pursues us, that God is God and we are not. And one of the things that I think that you have really done, which was a real gift, I think, to all of us, is you slowly but steadily have brought us from a mental point of scarcity to realize how that life with God is a life of plenty. And from that plenty, it makes it easy to give, to do Jesus' work. But like Pastor Steve, when you gave notice that you were going to leave Emmanuel, you too asked if we could have some time to talk things over. And over uh, breakfast at Flo Ann's, you point blank asked me, Warren, what would you like to see me concentrate on? What can I do for this church in the last year that I'm here? I point blank told you that you have a relationship with this congregation. 
you know these people better than anybody knows these people. I said, what I'd like to see you do is concentrate on getting the mortgage paid off. And lo and behold, here we are today, where we stand today. I know at a time like this, it's easy for, for both of us to be flippant, for you to say, of course, I did what I did because it's my job. And it's easy, just as easy for me to be flippant and say, of course you did what you did. That's what we paid you to do. <laughs> but for everybody that's been here, that, that has watched you, to see what you've stepped into and to watch you for the last 10 years to do what you have done, we see that this isn't just a job, that this has been a calling. And that being said, I just want to say thank you for everything you've done to bring this day possible. So with that being said. So for the prayer, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we come here today with so many joys, with so many feelings of gratitude. We give you thanks today for those parts of your body, for the parts of Christ that have left us to go to other parts of the country, to the other parts of the world. We give you thanks for those who have left to be with you. We give you thanks for a dose of humility, for showing us to make us think about things, to, to reflect, to realize that this really isn't about us. We really didn't do this. This was you. We were just doing your work, what you have asked us to do. We give you thanks for Dave, for the leadership, for everybody who has come, who has stepped forth, everybody who has, in every small way, for those who have given out of their necessities, to those who have given out of their wealth, we give you thanks for all of these. And we'd like to close together saying the prayer that you taught us, your son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We're going to exit out this door and it's an opportunity to share with one another as well as we uh, burn the mortgage uh, and our, our two pyrotechnicians uh, uh, do that for us. But let me just offer this benediction, which you've heard before. Go out in joy and be led forth in peace. Let the mountains and the hills break forth before you in singing and let the trees of the fields clap their hands. For the great shepherd of the sheep goes before us and the Lord of hosts is our rear guard. Amen. Amen. Amen.